Hello and welcome to the Michigan Film Vault, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies filmed in, set in, or otherwise having to do with Michigan. I am your host, Nick Noel, and with me, as always, is Matt Giles. Hello. And uh, on today's episode, we will be discussing the 2017 film, Catherine Bigelow's Detroit, uh, which seemed uh, to make sense given that, you know, it's, it's got Detroit right in the title. Yeah, a movie that is so Detroit, so completely invested in Detroit that it was shot in Boston. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, so when we think Detroit, we think Boston. <laughs> I think I think that makes sense, you know. Uh, Detroit and Boston have so much in common. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, just everything about Boston just screams at me, Detroit. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody remembers the Detroit uh, Fago party, which was... Similar to the Boston Tea Party, it was just when a bunch of uh, rowdy college students from Wayne State dumped a bunch of Fago into the uh, the Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> Actually, make any sense. The, I don't think Chesapeake's anywhere near Detroit. What, what am I thinking of? Why don't I know any Michigan geography? You, you could have just said the Detroit River, and that would have yeah, been. Yeah, I got I got uh, in my head. I was like, it's the Detroit River, right? And then I then I picked something that was not even in yeah. the state. What's a lake? See, oh, I, I, I was gonna, just said Lake was Michigan. What the hell's my problem? <laughs> I was going to say that both of those events, uh, you know, little known fact, took place simultaneously, and 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 the Boston Tea Party just kind of overshadowed the the Fago incident. So, um, you know, history buffs, make sure you look that up because I'm 100% telling the truth on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, so what's this movie about, Matt? We both watched it, but you're better at, uh, summarizing things. Uh, it was meant to, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, not commemorate, not celebrate, but just kind of fall in line with the 50th anniversary of the, um, 1967 Detroit riots. Uh, although depending on which, um, person you ask, some people refer to it as the riots others refer to it as the rebellion which kind of um goes into the whole there are two sides of um detroit there's this idea of kind of you know urban revitalization this new um life being breathed into the city and everyone talking about you know for instance currently quicken loans kind of um being um, one of the main sources of giving people jobs in the city and kind of re-investing uh, in the downtown and midtown areas. But the other side of the story is that there's all of these families that live um, kind of outside of downtown and midtown um, on the outer edges of Detroit and even not the far edges of Detroit that are kind of being pushed out um, and everything. So the 1967 riot rebellion was kind of um, the start of, well, or maybe kind of the biggest moment where this, like Detroit kind of went into two different directions. Um, and you have a lot of racial tension building up and all that kind of stuff. So this movie was meant to come out around the 50th anniversary of the 1967 riot slash rebellion. Um, and it's directed, as you mentioned, by Catherine Bigelow, who's known for doing these kind of gritty, realist, I wouldn't say war movies, but, you know, you've got Zero Dark Thirty, you've got um, Hurt Locker. And so those are, um, you know, a couple of movies that are not easy to watch, but are definitely um, worth watching. And so Detroit, I think, was kind of meant to be um, in, in a similar vein um, to those movies. and. Uh, for me, spoiler alert, um, it didn't, didn't quite work. Um, and yeah, I just, I think my own bias for this movie is that again, it's, it's just outright called Detroit and the vast majority, majority of it was not shot here. So um, what did you think? What was your take on the movie? Um, so I didn't know what it was going to be about going in. You know, I knew it was kind of about the, the 1967 riots, but I hadn't uh, read anything besides that. Um, and so, you know, I was a little thrown off uh, at first when I, when I started watching it, because it takes this very, like, 
almost documentary kind of embedded style where, you know, it's a lot of handheld camera and, um, there and, and, and kind of ride along style where, you know, the, um, it's just, I, I don't know how to describe it exactly. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's a movie. It feels like it's a documentary, I guess is, uh, when it's, when it started. Yeah, the gritty realism as it were. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, so there's this interesting structure to it where it starts kind of like very broad, you know, it talks about, you know, this period in history, um, it sets up like through this uh, animation. Was that at the beginning? Was that at the beginning of all the movies? I'm not sure if they added it. Like it kind of gives at the beginning movie. of all of uh, at the beginning of all of Catherine Bigelow's movies, or just no, 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 just just this particular movie. Like there was this animation that you know talked about the history leading up to um, you know this explosion of of. Uh, kind of violence in Detroit, where it's talking about, you know, the Watts riots and other riots that were going on, the civil rights movement, um, even going so back as, you know, Jim Crow laws and and other things to kind of spark this uh, idea that things were like building towards attention. Did you see that in your movie? Yeah, that's yeah. all... Okay. all of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's at the beginning of the movie. Um, I wasn't sure because it was done in such a different style than the rest of the movie that I wasn't sure if they added that for like a release or something to kind of give it more context. But you know, I probably should have looked it up and I didn't. So here we are. Well, uh, they also they also do use a fair amount of um, documentary footage um, mm-hmm. uh, from from the time, and I should say now. Um, maybe at some point we should, um, you know, kind of bookend this with what I would argue is the, is the better movie, an actual documentary called 12th and Claremont, which is, um, it was actually part of the Detroit, uh, free press free film festival, uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago. Um, and that's actually really good. And it's all completely told from documentary footage that was, um, submitted by, uh, residents at the time, um, it was like the Detroit Film Theater did this whole thing where they were asking for um, people to submit their home movies that they had shot at the time. And then um, eventually some of that footage was, you know, cut into uh, 12th and Claremont. Um, and then there's kind of voiceover and retelling of the events at that time. And for anything that they don't have uh, documentary footage for, they, there's this artist that they hired that kind of does these really powerful um, animations that, um kind of tell kind of what what happened at the time and mm-hmm. so anyways some of that documentary footage Catherine Bigelow has split in throughout um this movie um I would argue again not that you should you should compare one movie to the other but the the impact is much more profound when watching 12th and Claremont than it is yeah did it work for you at all were you um I mean, no I I would say in general I think the movie the movie probably worked more for me than it did for you, especially as it got uh go as it as it you know in in the middle part i guess um so like like i said it it kind of starts broad where it sets up these characters it sets the you know the the setting the stage for for introducing us to these main characters and then they all kind of meet um together at um this the algiers ho- uh, motel. Um, where like a third of the movie happens and it's basically this tense um, interrogation and um, uh, investigation and and kind of, uh, you know, from another perspective, uh, kidnapping of uh, people who are are basically being held against their will um, as they try and figure out who was shooting at uh, National Guard's troops. Um, Then they use some pretty... um, horrible tactics to convince them to talk um you know such a you know like um physical violence and then threatening to kill them and then pretending like they'd killed several of the people there um you know taking them to another room and then firing a gun and making it seem like they had they'd shot them um and i think that part 
worked because it was very tightly focused. Um, and it also was mainly just very uncomfortable, like, uh, which is, you know, the goal, you're not supposed to be enjoying it necessarily as people are brutalized by, um, police officers. Um, and, and so like, I appreciated how they were, you know, reaching this, this kind of crescendo, this, um, this climactic point. Um, but then the subsequent, subsequent parts, um, felt like more disconnected and it, it felt like they were kind of rushed a little bit. So they spent so much time on like this, you know, one day or, you know, six or eight hour period. I'm not exactly sure how long it lasted. And then they kind of like have to spend the next, you know, 40 minutes of the movie kind of wrapping up six months to a year of time of the trial and, and, and subsequent, uh, um, fallout from, from that event. Um, so I was more invested in the characters at that point. Um, so I was more interested, but the first third of the movie where it's setting up, like it's kind of just, um, disparate storylines, um, wasn't working for me. And then when they all connected, that's when I started to, uh, see it as see, see the structure of the film and get more invested in it. Yeah. It's, I I don't know if my, if I would have had a different reaction to it, if I hadn't seen 12th and Claremont first. Um, but, and I, and I think too, like I had learned more about kind of the, what happened in 1967 when I was still working, um, at Detroit public television, the, the local PBS affiliate here in uh in southeast michigan um and we had done a lot of work around kind of uh the anniversary the 50th anniversary of 1967 at the time and so i had kind of this kind of i don't know like larger view of everything that had happened like i still don't know all of the details about it obviously but i had a pretty good idea of kind of the the build-up to it the actual events and then everything that happened afterwards and so in watching this movie i get that it's it's not a documentary it's it's going for realism but it's also somewhat fictionalized um but i don't know especially watching it this time i had i hadn't watched it since it came out in theaters um and it just it felt like it cheapened things a bit um by focusing on one incident, which was actually true. And from what I've read about it, um, even though there were some, you know, uh, artistic license taken Mm -hmm. with, you know, what exactly happened um, during this incident that the movie focuses on for the most part, uh, um, from what I can understand, it's, it's pretty accurate, but it just, for a movie that's like called Detroit and trying to highlight only on, like you said, Mm several hour period it just i don't know it felt to me like it didn't really do it justice um and and, but i don't i don't know how it could do it better um other than being a documentary like 12th and claremont that really kind of gives you an overview uh of what happened but um yeah performances were all good i think like every point that you made is accurate it's just you know I guess kind of my own knowledge coming into it and my own experience with um, my experience with just kind of learning about the event and seeing um, that documentary, uh, I don't know, it just kind of felt less than as a result. Um, I, I might hey, Matt, you're, been... you're breaking up a lot. Can you hold on a sec? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we can... Um adjust anything here um but like basically like i can't even understand what you're saying anymore (laughs) Uh, okay well what about Uh, now am i still coming through like that no it it comes and goes um turn that off do you have anything that you can disconnect from your network at home um like as far as um like, do you want me to plug into the Ethernet? No. Well, I, I don't know if maybe that would help. I just mean, is there anything that is using bandwidth that you can turn off? Um, hold on. Let me go and see. Hold on. 
Alright, how's it sound now? Uh yeah, it's fine. We'll just we'll see how it goes. Okay. Okay, anyway. Um so where were we? You were talking about the uh just that my my experience with it with having seen the twelfth in Claremont and learning about it when I was working at Detroit Public Television, this this just felt like a lesser attempt at um explaining or highlighting what happened in 1967 yeah i guess like you know it's kind of where this mismatch between expectations and um what is what is presented maybe is is causing some of the issues um because it's called detroit but it's really about this like one event um and it's not i don't know so it's it's setting you up to think that it's about you know a more broader kind of story at least in my mind, and then to really just focus on this one time um, kind of like disconnects and makes it seem like, well, you know, there's a lot of stories going on here. Um, And it doesn't really even dig into the um, climate surrounding it, you know, like doesn't explore the government's like reaction and response to any of these things. It doesn't explore, you know, more people's lives or really even people having um, a longer lasting uh, impact of this. It really just focuses on these, on this small period of time and to call something, you know, Detroit and, and just focus on these things is, I don't know. It causes, I can see it causing a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, I don't know if they're trying to say that this is, you know, where Detroit still is, you know, by having it come out on the 50th anniversary or around then, um, or, um, just, I don't know. It, it feels like people from outside Detroit trying to highlight what they think the city is or where it was and and where it's, Mm -hmm. where it currently is at. Um, and, rather than it being made by people who are in the city who have, you know, a background in this, who, who lived through it, that kind of thing. And I think, again, going back to the comparison between it and 12th and Claremont, I think that documentary is made by um, Detroiters uh, pretty much <laughs> like in as grassroots a way as it possibly can be because it's using footage from Detroiters home movies uh, at the time. And so yeah. this just kind of feels like, okay, this is an interesting story. Let's come in and do this movie. And then, you know, this is what we're trying to give off is the impression of Detroit, which some of it or a majority of it is probably really accurate to what happened at the time, like I mentioned, but um, it just, I don't know, like I said, it just kind of feels cheap to me. Yeah, I can, I can, I guess I can see that, especially if you have more background information. I would also say the... it doesn't seem to take a stance. Does that make sense? It kind of just presents information and then tries to be um, in, in trying to be fair, I guess, in some respects and trying to say like, well, not everybody was like this or people are complicated. It, it muddles a message. And so it makes it a more probably realistic depiction in some respects of like how people exist, but if you don't get any kind of, emotional resonance um because and there's no like cathartic moment maybe that's what it's trying to say is like we are still existing in this environment there is no um big moment where we turn a corner or anything it's all um it's all still happening right now like we haven't progressed and maybe that's what they're trying to say um and i don't know if that's inaccurate but it's not satisfying from a audience perspective um which you know i sound kind of uh 
maybe un um, unrefined or something like I want there to be like that big Hollywood kind of like cathartic moment where the bad guy, you know, gets what's coming to him. And that's not what history uh, happened or that's not what history showed us happened. And so it's, it's, un, uh, it's, un, it's not fair to judge the movie based on that, but I, I guess I wish that the, the writers and producers and directors had picked a, a thesis about what, what they're trying to say with this movie, you know, and been explicit or more explicit about what they were trying to say. Cause it doesn't really feel like they're trying to say anything. They're just showing you things that happened and leaving it up to you. Um, which isn't really what, at least in my opinion, most narrative film is, is for. Yeah, it feels, I don't know, it's like the, going back to what you said about, you know, calling it Detroit, um, it feels very micro and maybe it should have been macro, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're, we're calling a movie Detroit, but we're only focused on, um, you know, the Algier Motel, like you said, um, and really, because they didn't really shoot that much of it in Detroit, they shot it in Boston. It's like the geography also feels restricted. Like we're only focusing on this one area, this this one incident um, to try and represent, you know, the history of a whole city. And that, that to me just feels off. Um, yeah. But I completely acknowledge that my own bias aside from, you know, having seen, you know, and learned other information about 1967 is that while I'm, I wasn't, you know, born and raised in Detroit, um, it just, it feels closer to home. And so I don't know when it, when it, when it doesn't quite line up in the way that uh, you'd hope it, it just, um, it feels like it's a misrepresentation. Yeah. You know, there's an impression I got where, you know, all of the actors seemed committed and they were giving good performances, but they all seemed removed in some respects. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe it's its just because I, I'm putting too much of their, of who they are and their backstory into it. You know, like for instance, John Boyega um, is English, obviously. So, you know, I may be interpreting it incorrectly that he, feels removed because he's not, you know, uh, from obviously from Detroit or even the United States. Um, and, and so, yeah, I may, I don't know. I may be reading too much into that, but you know, it did feel like everybody was just recreating a scene. They weren't really like experiencing it. Yeah. Like they weren't inhabiting the roles. I, I, I get it. Like it, I, cause I kind of had, uh, having not seen it in a few years, I had a similar experience this time around where it's like everything is being played out kind of as you would expect, but it doesn't, it, it rings false. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, um, I don't know, like it, like it feels like they're going up to 11 again to kind of borrow that, mm-hmm. that phrase. Um, but there's no emotional through line. Like obviously what you're seeing is disturbing, but they don't feel uh, like real characters, I guess. It, it just, I don't know. It just, it feels false. Like I said before. Um, and I remember, I think the first time I watched it, um, the actor who plays kind of the main, um, you know, policeman who's leading the charge on this and um, doing all that stuff he's been in a handful of movies um yeah but i i remember the first time i saw it i thought he was really good and this time i just thought like he's way playing up the sadistic nature of it which is maybe what was asked of him um Mm -hmm. and i get why but it just it felt over the top this time um yeah like it he's playing a, a a racist you know sadistic asshole um and so I don't want there to be sympathy for him, but the way it's portrayed feels just like I'm an evil person. I'm an evil thing, not a um, terrible person. Yeah. You know, like it, it doesn't go to the line of like feeling like he has anything besides malice and, and is, a, is just a, an evil 
like ex existence that is going in Detroit. Maybe he's representing, you know, just the concept of racism. And so he's not a person, but um, I, as much as like if the acts that were being per, per, uh, perpetrated uh, were horrible, um, it didn't feel like a person was doing, you know, like he didn't seem to like doing it. He didn't seem to not like doing it. He just did it because that's what racists do rather than I'm like, I hate these people or I, you know, feel like this is my duty or my right or something. And I'm going to portray that. And that's why I am like what this, this goes back. So like stupidly, but like, you know, it's such a cliche, but what is your motivation? Like, what are you, what do you care about? Why are you doing this? Yeah. And it'd be um, easier for me to hate you as a person or not, or, or find like any kind of uh, like connection where I can view you as the villain of this movie. Um, uh, but I can't because you're not giving me like anything to like hang my hat on. It's just, you're a thing that's doing stuff. Everything to do with the, the dramatics um, and you know, the, just those characters, it felt, like I was being manipulated um, and I understand why the filmmakers would want to do that. But I think given the circumstances of the story they're trying to tell, you don't need to manipulate your audience. Like unless, you know, racist assholes are the ones watching this movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty cut and dry, like who the villains are and who the, you know, black heroes are in this story. Um, so it yeah. doesn't, just just trying to like pull at your heartstrings more or manipulate you it just makes it feel cheaper i guess like it like they're cheapening what actually happened um and they're you know trying to pull the audience in with their like in a sympathetic way and it's it's like it just it doesn't need it it's it's it here from the events this is this is wrong <laughs> um mm -hmm. so yeah it's just i don't know i don't know how it could have been better um maybe if they hadn't tried to make a fictionalized accounting of it that would have been um a better route to take but yeah it just uh i wish i liked this movie more but i, I don't <laughs> <laughs> um so is there anything that you did is there anything you did enjoy about the the movie uh hmm. no not really <laughs> um um I yeah and I I completely admit like I don't I don't fault anyone for liking this movie um I you know kudos to you if you do um but I think going back to seeing um 12th and Claremont uh uh at the um at the opening night of the Free Film Festival the experience I had there um especially with a lot of people who were involved in the making of the movie and and some of whom uh were alive at the time of the 67 riot slash rebellion um that was a profoundly like emotional experience even though again i didn't grow up in that time i didn't know about uh 1967 until you know fairly recently in my life but just kind of that whole experience really you just think it went 66 68 is that what you yeah yeah i just i, I skipped over that year oh i see okay yeah um but i don't know just all of that uh kind of played into seeing this movie it just it, it it couldn't by definition of my my prior experience it couldn't end up being anything uh other than you know a, a lesser effort um yeah but but that's my own, I, again, it's my own bias. It's my own, you know, personal <laughs> feelings on the matter. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I love Catherine Bigelow's movies. Um, so I, I did go into this movie kind of with an open mind, but um, it just, this doesn't feel like one of her best. Mm -hmm. How about you? Um, you know, I thought Anthony Mackie did a good job um, in it. Uh, and I, I think for the, the most part, the a lot of the performances, there were moments where um, people were doing interesting things, but it still it didn't it never rang as 
I don't know. Sometimes it felt it's hard to it's so hard to say because it's such an extreme situation. Like what is going too big in that kind of situation? It just it's just I didn't get a sense of who the people were, I guess, you know, and why you know, yeah. I guess like you you have to take a lot of things at face value. And you know, that could just be not from Detroit, you know, I didn't grow up obviously during that time. And, you know, as a uh, straight white man, I wouldn't be able to experience it in, in the same kind of manner because I am not dealing with those issues in the same way that people would be at, at, uh, uh, in the film. So it could just be that it's not a movie that I can relate to as well. And so can't, you know, find the, the, the connection with the, with the events and characters just because of my life experience in some respects. Yeah. Like I do, I don't feel like I, and not again, not that you have to go into a movie and have like gained some sort of new perspective on things, but I don't feel like I, uh, you know, got anything out of this um, that um, I don't know, that wouldn't already seem obvious from, you know, a trailer for the movie or just the general kind of perception of Detroit from those who don't live in Michigan. Um, it, it like it, it didn't uh, help illuminate anything for me. It just kind of felt like a thing that they did that was like, hey, you know, the, the 50 year anniversary is coming up. Let's do a movie about this. And then, you know, nothing really happens uh, as a result. Um hmm. And I, I, I should say, I'm going to make this comparison, um, but with respect to uh, Catherine Bigelow, I do not think she is a shitty filmmaker by any stretch of the imagination. But the thing that comes to mind when you talk about, like, you know, deepening historical events is uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, but she, is Pearl Harbor? What do you mean? Yeah, my, Michael Bay's version of Pearl Harbor, where, where it's... Uh, um, that movie just feels like it doesn't do any justice to the tragedy that was Pearl Harbor. It instead, you know, focuses on uh, a fake love story, fake characters, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, Detroit is not the the same thing as that. But as far as feeling, I don't know, cheapened or ripped off, it's a similar kind of experience from from both movies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um... So we'd say probably if you're looking about uh, for some uh, film about this time, look out more uh, documentaries rather than this particular movie. There are like for me, you know, I think there's some interesting cinematography in some respects. There's um, I don't think the intersplicing a lot of the real video and, and um photographs worked it made it feel like it was trying to be a documentary that was like recreating events you know like um you remember those like 911 shows where they would talk about a crime and then recreate the 911 call yeah. like that's kind of what it felt like um yeah i would agree with that you know the only thing i did appreciate is i think it worked when they used footage and put it in a um, realistic setting. So if they had like a governor, like the governor doing an address and they used actually George Romney's address and they put it and they had characters watching it, that worked. Um, And then not trying to get a actor or to recreate it, I, I think was, was useful. But besides that, like using the real footage just kind of, reminded you that this was a fake thing yeah um yeah i would agree with all of that um but i feel like when we when we started this conversation you were kind of more um or it seemed like it had a better impact on you and i I feel like maybe i uh i brought the room down (laughs) no no no. i mean i appreciate the attempt I, i like that we're trying to like i said i like structurally i like the movie like i like that it goes broad and then comes to this point and then goes like um, expands out again, um, and it feels like it's reaching this this uh, this peak, you know, as 
as they're interrogating people at the at the motel. Um, and like I said, if it was if the whole thing was just that motel scene, it was like a short film. Um, I think it probably works a little bit better. But besides that, um, yeah, it just it doesn't work as a whole. Yeah. So um, don't seek out Detroit. Um, yeah. Visit the actual city, Detroit, and draw your own conclusions. There we go. <laughs> um, so uh, besides the movie, what you been up to? <laughs> uh, well, as we're recording this, we should say um, we're currently, uh, you know, in the in the self isolation, social distancing due to the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, so. Then I think for all of us, a matter of staying healthy, safe, and sane. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I've been trying to catch up on you know some TV shows that I've been wanting to watch for a while. Um, I'm catching up on some reading. Uh, the the nerd in me, um, for all of you, I I do love doing crosswords because I'm an old man. I'm not <laughs> particularly great at them. Put on um, your put on your cardigan. Get a nice cup of tea, do a crossword, and then complain about the youth of today. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's <laughs> pretty much how it goes. But there's a, there's a new book out um, called Thinking Inside the Box that's about the history of crosswords and crossword enthusiasts. Oh and <laughs> it's, uh, that's what I'm currently reading. Was... It's actually, actually kind of charming. I have my own bias because, you know, again, I actually like crosswords, but I wonder if someone who didn't have an affinity for crosswords, if they would be entertained by it, because it is written in a way that is quite entertaining, at least for me. So I've been enjoying that. Listen, I don't, we don't need to get into this, but I think that last sentence you just said is indicative, is a big indicator that we are not the ones who should have been reviewing Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so far removed from our everyday experiences. Yep. Um, yeah, well, while these riots were going on, I'm just I'm just in in my house doing a crossword. You know, that's just yeah. Um, How about you? So I, you know, like I said, we've been we recorded these over the course of six months or so, maybe longer. Um, so a lot of the earlier ones are not going to mention any kind of pandemic. Um, but I, I have noticed that watching the kinds of movies where there's some uh, event going on outside your home that's preventing you from, from going anywhere um, from leaving, you know, whether it be a riot or uh, anything really, it it really resonates differently um, and feels very uh, like it reminds you that there's something uh, outside lurking potentially there to kill you. Um so that's another layer to the, the this kind of movie that I didn't really get into, but was part of my experience watching it and how, just a reminder how, you know, art is contextual, I guess, and your experience with a, a piece of art or, or, or anything is is also going to be influenced by where you are in the world and, and your uh, life experiences and stuff. So it's, uh, I don't know, it was kind of, it was kind of a, if the world wasn't so crazy and everything wasn't so terrifying right now, um, it would be an interesting think piece, but yeah, or an interesting thought experiment, but uh, it really just kind of stressed me out. Um, as for things I, sorry, what? <laughs> oh no, I was just going to say um, uh, that I've oddly, I haven't watched, like I know a lot of people when this all started, I, there were, you know, um, a couple things in the news about how people were rewatching the Steven Soderbergh movie uh, Contagion. Yeah, I, I, don't I, I don't know. Understand that at all? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I would do that, but um, I one of the I've been watching a lot of uh, ER. Uh, <laughs> the uh, you know. Oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned this last time. <laughs> yeah, and oh, it's, no, we didn't record that. We were just talking as as friends. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's that stuff you would think that I would shy away from because to your point, like, you know, something to do with, you know, people suffering Mm -hmm. um, from medical conditions you'd think would be more anxiety inducing. But 
Um, it's actually been comfort food in a lot of ways during all of this. Yeah. And there was actually a piece, um, the New York Times does this this watching feature, the New York Times watching section where um, mm-hmm. Margaret Lyons, who's a TV critic, um, kind of outlines uh, shows that you can watch to kind of keep your sanity. And at any point, or at any rate, um, someone asked about watching ER and she said it's a perfect time to watch it. And she articulated what I couldn't in the past, which like I couldn't figure out why I've been enjoying it so much. And in her piece, she said that ER is a show about people who are trying to do good things and maybe they don't always succeed, but um, it's, you know, there's a lot of chaos going on in the show, but they're always trying to make things better. And I think maybe that's what, like, that kind of hits the point that I was trying to articulate before of like, oh, this is, this is kind of comforting to see this. You know, there's all these horrible things going on, but ultimately I don't feel a sense of anxiety. I feel hopeful despite any dramatic things that go on in the show. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, that was my, my, uh, my my taking over the conversation you were going to go into what uh, you're uh, reading i think or what you're watching so i don't know if it's if it's just a change in my tastes or if uh because uh over the past several years due to my job i have to constantly be switching back and forth to a lot of different projects but i'm finding it very hard to concentrate on long form um reading so like novels and things like that um, you know, I've start tried to start a couple and it just like is a struggle to not like focus on something else or go work on something else or, or whatever. Um, so instead I've been reading a lot more, uh, comics. Um, so I, I got a couple, uh, volumes of powers, which is a comic about, um, the police who deal with superhero crimes. Um, so it's these two two police officers, um, and you know it basically follows more or less uh, a case they're on each each volume. So the first one is about the murder of a, a superhero named Retro Girl. Um, there's another one that uh, goes into a game of that kids are playing where they dress up like superheroes, and then someone's murdering them. Uh, another one about you know a death of a another death of a superhero that seems to be um, just natural causes, um, and so it's more about his life than um, a murder investigation and how and what it means to live a dual life and 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 being in the public eye as a as a persona. Um, so that's it's it's interesting. It's fun. It's it's relatively light compared to some of the other readings. So. So I've been enjoying that. Um, and then I got a another one that I've been intending to read for a long time and, and just haven't bought, so I finally bought it. Um, and that's called Unwritten. And that's a series essentially about, I'm not exactly sure what it's about yet, but the premise is it's a Harry Potter-like character um, in that there is a, a boy who, well, let me backtrack. There's a there's a man whose father wrote a Harry Potter like book series um, and used his son as the model. Um, And so it's kind of how that that book series ruined his life. But I imagine it takes a more like fantastical bent um, from what I've I've read about about the series. So I haven't started that yet, but um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, those sound sound pretty good. Um... And then just in general. Um, I've been playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons over Zoom with people. <laughs> nice. Um, and that's fun, man. There's nothing, because I was, you know, some people play it different ways, but I was trying to just play it very much uh, cerebrally, so not really any kind of like game pieces or anything or any boards. You're just imagining the world and, and telling a story together. And I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun. Um and and so I've been enjoying that. Yeah, we um a uh, couple of friends and I we we the only like the the only social Zoom things that I've done uh were we watched a couple episodes of Star Trek the Next Generation together which is actually <laughs> Which ones? 
Um, my friend Bob picked Phantasms from season seven because he thought it was like a fun, not like explicitly Halloween-esque episode, but it was more of like a, um, I don't know, a, a very light horror type mm-hmm. episode that was directed by Patrick Stewart. And because the new series Star Trek Picard is out, we were kind of trying to find more uh, Picard or Patrick Stewart um focused episodes and that one in particular because it was directed by patrick stewart he wasn't the focus of it it was a data episode but Mm -hmm. i ended up picking one after that um god now i'm drawing a blank on the name of it but it's where uh uh picard's um artificial heart explodes and q kind of lets him relive um, oh yeah i remember that tapestry tapestry that's the name yeah Yeah, so we watched that one, and that that was fun. That's the one where, like, he goes to a life where he was less impulsive and just becomes, like, a low-level science officer, basically? Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, like a reverse or, or maybe similar to It's a Wonderful Life, but honestly, the reason that I was curious about the episode was because I saw, like, images from it, and I actually found it at a, at a store over here, um, an action figure of Picard wearing the uniform that um, Kirk, <laughs> that Kirk and others wear in the Star Trek movies, um, you know, two through six. Um, and so, well, two through seven, really. But, um, and so I was like, oh, when does Picard wear that? And then I found out that it was from an episode called Tapestry, which was written by Ronald D. Moore. So thus, oh, cool. that, that was the connection there. I was just like, oh, let's check out this one. I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> and it turned out to be pretty good. So I was glad. Well, that's great. Um, Oh, something else I wanted to mention that I'm excited about is um, Middleditch and Schwartz, which is Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz. Um, Thomas Middleditch is the main character on Silicon Valley. Yep. And Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec and also being the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, They do a long-form improv uh, show um, just called Middle, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And uh, Lauren and I went to prop, like one of their last performances before everything got shut down um, in Detroit maybe six weeks ago. I can't exactly remember the timeline, uh, but it was basically the last thing we did before Michigan got shut down. Um, and it was the probably the funniest thing I've seen. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's 45 minutes to an hour and it's all improvised, uh, an all improvised story by two people. And so they play all the characters and it's crazy that they're able to do that and that they can be funny uh, at the same time. Um, and then it was a very nice moment to have like, you know, an audience of a few hundred people. Um, if I'm, I think that's what the theater size was. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm just all kind of laughing together and stuff. And I'm very excited because Tuesday the 21st uh, is when their specials drop. They shot three episodes of their, you know, long-form improv show. So that's going to be great. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching that because it's, it is like the funniest thing I've seen uh, in a very long time. Um, so, you know, be on the lookout for that. Well, you've, you've sold me, so I will, I will check those out when they, when they get released. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, with that in mind, uh, Thomas Middleditch makes me remember, um, did you ever watch Harmon Quest? Uh, I didn't, um, okay. but I've, I've heard good things. Well, if you're, if you're looking for something to do, um, the, the downside for Harmon Quest is that it's only available on this app called Verve or VRV. Um, and it has basically some random shows that it bought from CISO, and then the rest of it is pretty much anime. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's like, I think it's $10 a month, so it's probably a little bit more expensive than it should be. But uh, there's something like 30 episodes of Harmon Quest right now. You can probably, if you get in, if you get it, you can watch one a month or one a day. Um, and it is also hilarious because they have some of the best comedians and improv uh, and, and improvisers um, in, in the country uh, on there. Um, you know, Paul F. Tompkins does an episode, John Hodgman, Patton Oswalt, um, 
uh, no, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, oh, well, there's a bunch of others. So <laughs> check that out if you'd like. Nice. Um, it's funny because two of the people on it, Dan Harmon and Aaron McGathy, when the show started, were married and then got divorced um, after the first season, but they still do the show together. And they're friends now, but uh, it's funny how it's obvious how much they had to cut around them referencing being married because by the time the show come out, they were divorced. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, I, I could see that being a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a great show. I've watched it through probably two or three times now, and I always enjoy it. Nice. I'll That's check all. it out. So check that out if you enjoy uh, comedy uh, or Dungeons and Dragons or Dungeons and Dragons based comedy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Or are we going to wrap this up? I think we're ready to wrap up. All righty. Let me get this handy outro you wrote <laughs> somewhere. And I will also remember to cut this part out. Why? Why do things disappear on me? goodness we're rusty man this is this is our this is we, we we took a break to do this last episode and we're rusty we're, we're we've encountered technical issues on my end dogs <laughs> barking and and our, our I mean, technology failing us yeah so it's a podcast is what you're saying <laughs> yeah exactly do you listen to other podcasts or do you just do one are you one of those carpetbagger podcasters no i listen to a lot of podcasts okay. well you never talk about them matt and i think it makes them sad <laughs> Okay, you ready? Yep. Yep. All right, everyone. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you prefer. Um, You can also find the podcast on Twitter. We're Mitch Film Vault. uh, And we'll be pointing... I'm going to start over. (laughs) That's going to wrap up this week's episode, everyone. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you prefer to listen to us. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Twitter. We are at Mitch Film Vault. Mish. Mitch? Mish. We're Mish Film Vault. Uh, that's M-I-C-H-F-I-L-M-V-A-U-L-T. And we'll be posting episodes, links, as well as other fun content uh, there throughout the week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. 